0: Man, I want to welcome everyone here this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are visiting with us today. Also, I want to welcome, you, welcome those of you who are joining us live online. We are always glad to have you guys a part of our worship. Well, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, or maybe this is your first time visiting with us today, right now we're in a series entitled, At Blessed. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at what we like to call the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And last week I put this picture up on the screen, but I didn't really explain. And I thought about that after I'd already preached a lesson. But where where Julie and I are standing In this picture, this is the Mount of Beatitudes. And I put this up here because I want you guys just to imagine. Imagine thousands of people who are following Jesus. And and just imagine that they're sitting on these rolling hills overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Maybe, Maybe they're sitting on blankets, Maybe they brought a picnic lunch, but but they're sitting around thousands of people and they are listening to Jesus preach and teach this sermon. And what Jesus says in this sermon must have been absolutely mind-blowing. Because really what Jesus says to them, I mean, if, you, if you want to break it down, I mean really what Jesus says to them in this sermon is if you want to be blessed. How, how many of you want to be blessed? Okay, well, well Jesus says to them and to us, He says, listen, if you want to be blessed, if you really want to be happy, okay, because that's what that word blessed means, He says, then you got to go against the flow. You gotta live countercultural. In other words, you you gotta turn around and 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 you gotta you gotta go in a different direction. You you've gotta be a different person. In in other words, you, you can't act and you can't behave like the world acts and behaves. You you gotta be different if you really, really want to be happy. In fact, last week, we looked at a couple of the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, blessed are the what church? Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who are broken. And we talked about this last week, and you can go back and you can listen to it off our podcast or our webpage, or we also have a church page that you can join as well on Facebook. But he says, blessed are those who are broken by their own shortcomings, their own sin, their own spiritual poverty, and can admit that they need God, that that they can't do this life alone. And and even as Christians, we, we can't do Christianity. We can't be a follower of Christ. On our own, right? We can't be good enough. We can't do enough. In order for us to be saved, each and every one of us, we need Jesus. And we rely on Jesus. But then also, we, we looked at another beatitude where Jesus said, Blessed are those who what? Blessed are those who mourn. And I think all of us have mourned at least at some point in our life. Due to the loss of something or someone, man, we have, we have lost a lot of people here of late. A lot of people who were just a tremendous blessing and encouragement in our lives, and, and man, that, that hurts. And it just absolutely crushes us, right, when, when we lose someone like that. Or, or maybe we're, we're mourning over some sin in our life. And, you know, it's not something that we want to do. And, and maybe we've even asked God to remove it, but we just, man, we just, we keep falling into that sin. And, and that's not who we want to be. And, and we don't want to do that to God. And Jesus says, those who mourn will be comforted in His kingdom. Well, today we're going to look at two more Beatitudes, and, and I want to start by showing you this. I was on Facebook a while back, and I was looking at some of the new recruits that are going to be coming to Alabama. Whether you like Alabama or not, that's, that's not the point here. Don't boo, boo me off stage. But anyway, I, I saw this one, this one young man by the name of Jared Smith. He's an age rusher that's supposed to be coming in 2025. He was given an offer from Alabama, and this is what he said about it. I was excited. I was blessed at the same time. I know a lot of kids want what I have, so I just have to stay what? Can you see that? Humble, humble and what? Hungry. And hungry. Stay humble and hungry hungry, and and I think Jesus would say, yeah, you've got it. That is the best way to live. In fact, let's just look at how he put it. Let's look at our next beatitude. Look at verse 5. It says, blessed are the what church? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. What does that word meek mean? What is the word? Okay, I heard someone say humble, and you're absolutely right. The word meek means humble. That's a word we're we're probably more familiar with: humble, gentle, considerate. Now, in the world in which we live, I think oftentimes when we think about meekness, when we think about humility, I think oftentimes when we think about that word, something negative pops into our mind, right? Because how many of us would say when we were putting our resume together to apply for a job that we put on there, I am a meek or I am a humble person? I doubt any of us put that on our resume. Or or how many of you have girls How many of you are raising girls? How many of you have told your girls, listen, when you are looking for a husband, when you're looking for a young man to marry, look for one that is meek. Now, I think most of us would say to our girls, look for a man that's got a job, right? Look for a guy that can keep a job, right? All right, see, that's what I'm talking about. And how many, of us, how many of us have actually heard someone say, when I grow up, I want to be meek? You see what I'm saying? When we think about meekness, when we think about humility, it's not something that we consider something that's important or even valuable, for that matter. But actually, the idea behind this word meekness is strength under control. It's a term that actually describes how a horse trainer takes a wild, snorting, bucking, jumping colt with all of its energy and all of its power and breaks it. It's power under control, strength under control. Control. And Jesus really helps us to say, helps us to see what this looks like in Luke chapter 18. Now we touched on this just a little bit last week, but if you want to be going, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. Luke chapter 18. Jesus here shows us what a humble heart looks like. This is what it says, starting in verse 9, to some who were confident in their own what? righteousness, and did what? Look down on everyone else. Okay, so I want you to understand who Jesus' crowd is, right? These are the people who thought that they were good enough by their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else. And so to these people, Jesus tells this parable. He tells this story. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a what? A Pharisee. And the other a what? A tax collector. And so notice, Jesus introduces us to these two characters. One of them is a Pharisee. Now, during that day and time, the Pharisees were extremely powerful. We talked a little bit about that last week. In fact, the Pharisees sat on top of the religious and even the political ladder. And everyone, everyone viewed them as the most religious people of their day. The most religious people during their day and time. And so Jesus introduces us to a Pharisee, and then the second character He introduces us to is a tax collector. Now, when you think about a tax collector from this particular story, don't think about an IRS agent today, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to imagine someone who is trying to steal your money. Okay, someone who is, is really trying to make off with your money. And, uh, you know, basically what they did was they, they cheated people. The Roman government says, look, we want this much as far as taxes are concerned from the people, but anything else that you get above that, hey, you, you keep that for yourself. And, and so tax collectors would take, take advantage of that. But not only would they cheat people, they were also traitors. Because these were Jewish people. These tax collectors were Jewish people who were working for the Roman government that oppressed their own people. And so they were traitors. They were considered the lowest of low, the worst of sinners. And so, well, Jesus continues, verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Man, look at that. Here, here you have this Pharisee, and he is praying, and he is thanking God, right? And, and, and at first, it's like, hey, this is, this is a good thing. But then you began to listen to his prayer. He is praying, yes, and he is thanking God, but he is thanking God that he's better than everyone else. Can you imagine praying a prayer like that? And what Jesus is doing through this story is He is trying to shine light on the difference between humility and pride. Now, I doubt that there's anyone here that would ever pray a prayer like this. God, I thank You that I'm better than everyone else. But a lot of what we say reveals what's in our hearts. For example, how many of you have ever heard someone say, or maybe you've said yourself, you're not going to talk to me like that? You ever said that? You see, that's pride. Pride makes us defensive and unwilling to listen. Or, or how, many, how many of us have heard someone say, or maybe we've said ourselves, listen, I'm not going to be the one to apologize. They may apologize, but I'm not going to apologize. I haven't done anything wrong. You see, we may not say that we're better than someone, but when we refuse to acknowledge when we're wrong, or when we refuse to to listen, what we're really saying is, is I am better than they are. Or how many of you have heard someone say or, or said yourself, look, it's not me, it's you. You ever said that? he's the one, he's the one that needs to change. She's the one who needs to do things differently. Listen, it's not me, it's them. Kind of reminds me of that Taylor Swift song that's out anti-hero. Teenagers, they've heard it before. It goes like this. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. You see, that's pride. That's what pride does. It looks at others. It, it, It lets us off the hook while we put other people under the microscope. Well, in contrast to the Pharisee, we see the tax collector, verse 13. This is what he says about the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. And he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, if you were to look up that phrase in the original language, what it really says is this, God, have mercy on me, thee. Sinner. In other words, you have this Pharisee who elevates himself religiously, spiritually, where over here you have this tax collector who elevates himself as a sinner. He says, God, I have mercy on me. I, I am the sinner. Jesus even describes what their body language was like. You have the Pharisee who, who kind of stepped up and stepped out and, went, and was drawing attention to himself. But over here, you've got this tax collector who the Bible says stood off at a distance. And he wouldn't even look up toward heaven. He just lowers his head and he is just he is beating his chest, and it's just this prayer of desperation, God have mercy on me, which reminds me of our first, beat- our first two Beatitudes that we looked at last week, right? This is a guy who is broken in spirit, and he is mourning over his sin. And I want you to notice how Jesus concludes the parable. Look at verse 14, and and this is kind of interesting. He says, I tell you that this man, talking about the tax collector, rather than the other guy, the Pharisee, went home, what church? Justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who what? Humble themselves will be exalted. Exalted. And so here's this tax collector, and and man, he is just broken. And he is just begging for mercy from God. And God says, that's the one that goes home justified before God. And and I just imagine that those who are listening to this story are thinking to themselves, Jesus, I think He got everything backwards here. I think what you meant to say was it was the rule keeper who went home justified, not the rule breaker, not the tax collector. I mean, look at, the, look at this Pharisee. I mean, this is, this is a guy who fasts twice a week. In, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16, it talks about fasting and how you were to fast once, listen to this, once a year required by the law of God. Once a year. This guy's fasting twice a week. That's a hundred times more than what God has asked for, right? I mean, if there was a gold medal to be won for fasting, this guy's got to be in the running. Right? I mean, he's he's fasting twice a week. And he was a really good giver. He gave a tenth of what he what he had. And so it's easy to look at the Pharisee and say, man, this guy's got it all together. This guy is, is the one that, that God is, is pleased with. You see, here's what's so interesting. It's, and, and you guys can tell me if you think this is true or not. It's easier to be a religious rule keeper. In other words, it's easier to check the boxes than it is to check our heart. Are you with me? Sometimes we can go through the motions, but, but our heart is really not right with God. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of us would admit that we struggle to say at times, I need help? How many of us would admit that oftentimes we struggle to give up control, especially even to God. I'm one of those people, I, I like to be in control. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I want to be in control. And when I'm not in control, oftentimes my world get, gets turned upside down. And, and, you know, one of the things that I do uh, with our family is, is when we're going somewhere as a family, I let Julie drive. You know, I, I just, driving stresses me out, but Julie will, will drive, but even when Julie's driving, I want to be in control, <laughs> right? So, so we may be coming up on a traffic light, and I'll look over at Julie, and I'm like, honey, you need to slow down. Or, or I'm, I'm looking ahead and I can see that one car is going faster and, and, and I'll tell Julie, I'll say, hey, you, you just need to go ahead and get in the other lane. And so often, so often, Julie will look over at me and, and sarcastically she'll say, what would I ever do without you? Right? But that's me. I, I struggle with that. So oftentimes I want to be in control, and, and oftentimes the, the same is true when it comes to God. You know, I, I'm like, God, let me, let me tell you what to do here. Let me, let me show you how you need to work this out. Let me take control. In fact, God, why don't you just slide over and let me drive? Kind of reminds me of the Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, Right? Because it's only when we humble ourselves and only, listen to me, when we give God control that He is able to work in and through us. And it's only when God is working in and through us that we're going to be blessed. That we're really going to be happy. And so blessed are you, happy are you when you move over and you let God take control of your life. God blesses those who are humble and meek who say, God, have mercy on me. I can't do this on, on my own. I'm, I'm desperate. I'm a sinner. I need you. But then the next beatitude is found in verse 5. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are are hungry. How how many of you get hungry? How many of you have ever been hungry, but you didn't know what you're hungry for? Anybody? I guarantee there's going to be some couple leave today. And and as you're going out, you're going to look at your spouse, and you're going to say, hey, what are you hungry for? And your spouse is going to look at you and go, you know what? I don't know. What are you hungry for? And you're going to look at him and go, I don't know. What are you hungry for? Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's this never-ending cycle, right? You know you're hungry. You know you've got this craving, but you just can't narrow it down. You don't know what you're really hungry for. And I think in a spiritual sense, a lot of people are living their lives that way. They're hungry. They don't know what they're hungry for. And everything that they try and fill their soul with just leaves them unsatisfied and unfulfilled and and unnourished. Think about the prophet Amos. He, He talked about the people during... His day and time, and I think this could apply to us as well, but the prophet Amos talked about how they pant after the dust of the earth, the people in his day. Now, Amos is not saying that there were people who literally went around saying, man, i got to have some dirt. i got to have some dust. I'm, I'm craving dust. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the people were panting and going after all sorts of things in their life that they thought would satisfy, but ultimately it's just dust. It's just junk. Think about us today and how oftentimes we think that, man, if I just had that house or if I just had that car or if I just had that piece of furniture, or if I just had that new toy or that new gadget that, just, that came out, man, I would be satisfied. That, man, that would, that would, that would bring me joy. But, but here's the thing. It's about as satisfying to our soul over time than a bag full of Doritos or Twinkies, right? Or, or if I just got the applause from my peers if i just got enough likes or if i just had that status or if i just had that power or if i just had that job man i'd be fulfilled i'd, I'd be satisfied and yet as far as our soul is concerned it's about as satisfying as you know some crispy cream donuts now don't misunderstand me i love crispy cream donuts I love Doritos as much as anybody, and Twinkies. But I think you and I both know that we can't live off that stuff because you know what? Even though it may taste good for a while, there's no nourishment in it, it's just junk food. That's, when our kid, that's why when our kids come to us with those things, you know, before supper and say, hey, can I have this? You're like, no, it's almost supper time. You, you got to eat your supper first. You, you got to have the nourishment first before you take in all that garbage. And in a spiritual sense, you know, we can be tempted to pant after the wrong things things that never satisfy. And Jesus knew that. Je- Jesus, in John chapter 6, verse 35, He says, look, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will never be what, church? Hungry again. Whoever believes in Me will never be thirsty. Then He goes on in verse, in verse 51. He says, anyone who eats What? This bread, talking about Himself, will what? Will live forever. You know, bread is one of the basic essentials of life. And I am so glad it is because I love bread. I don't know about y'all. But you think about these people who say, you know, I was in a a penitentiary. I I was in a prison cell for 40 years and I lived off bread and water how could they say that? Because you can live off bread and water, right? Whenever there's a famine in some part of the world and they're flying in and dropping supplies, what's the first thing they unload? Sacks of flour for people to make bread, right? And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what He is saying is, is I'm what you really need to live. I can meet your needs. I'm the only one that can bring satisfaction to your soul. Now understand, there are a lot of books today, and there are a lot of conferences that you can go to, and a lot of podcasts that you can listen to, and say, no, 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 no. You can find find self-satisfaction. You can find self-fulfillment within you. And that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard of. I mean, think about this. Think about yourself physically when when you're really hungry and and your stomach is growling. Can you say to your stomach, listen, you, you just need to be satisfied. You just need to fulfill yourself. That's absurd, right? We we know that physically, in order to to you know do away with that hunger, we've got to go to an outside source. And the same is true spiritually. We we can't just say to our soul, hey, listen, I know you're hungry, but listen, you, you just you just need to satisfy yourself. You just need to fulfill yourself. No, we know we've got to go to an outside source and that is the God who made us, who created us, who who is the only one who can fill us with fulfillment and satisfaction. But not only is Jesus the bread of life who satisfies our hunger, At a well on a hot day. Jesus also said this in John 4, 13 through 14, anyone who drinks the water, this water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will, what, church, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now we have to understand that when Jesus says these words in John chapter 4, he is talking to a woman that has been married five times. And she is now living with her sixth partner. But she still has not found satisfaction for her soul. And in her, and in her mind, what she thinks is the reason I've not found satisfaction for my soul is because I have not found the right man yet. And the real answer is this. She hadn't found the right Lord Yet, Are you with me? But Jesus doesn't beat her up for a checkered pass. He just recognizes that she's thirsty. And he says, your problem is, is that you're thirsty for the wrong thing. You're trying to find satisfaction in the wrong thing. He says, but I've got a water that if you truly drink it, you will never thirst again. Listen, this bread and and this water that that deep down, that that we're we're all hungry for is is Jesus. That's where we're going to find fulfillment is in in satisfaction. And and the question we have to ask ourselves, do, do we believe that? Do we honestly believe that Jesus is enough? Jesus can satisfy us. That Jesus can meet our, our hunger pains. And so let me ask you this morning, how is your spiritual appetite? Are you hungry? For those of you who are Christians, are you still hungry for God? Do you really hunger and say, God, man, I want You in every area of my life I want everything, God, that you have to offer. Or has God just kind of become a means of convenience, like just an appetizer that we kind of snack on every now and then? Because the honest truth is this, guys. Our closeness to God is based on our appetite for God. And so what that means is, is if we're not close to God right now, listen, it's not God's fault It's not your spouse's fault. If we're not close to God, it's not our friend's fault. And it's not our boss's fault. Listen, if we're not close to God, it's our fault. Because those who hunger and thirst for God will be filled. And so, do we hunger and thirst for God? I think about David in Psalm, in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? How many of us would say, man, that's, that describes me right there. Man, I just can't get enough of God. Or how many of us would say, honestly, this is who I used to be? I mean, at one time I was hungry for God. I mean, every time the doors were open, I was was there worshiping Him. And, and, you know, I I was a part of a small group and I was encouraging others. Others. And I was in God's word and, and I was talking to him in prayer. And, and man, we just had this close, tight relationship, and 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 God was all I wanted. God was all I needed. I just couldn't get enough of God. But then I lost it. I don't have it anymore. And the question is, what happened? Well, here's the deal. Loss of appetite indicates illness, sickness. Right? We know that. Typically when someone won't eat, they're not on a diet, it's it's because they're sick. And we know that someone is feeling better when their appetite returns. When they're ready to start eating again. And so if you don't have the hunger and the thirst for God like you once did, I can tell you why you're sick. It's because you're stuffing yourself with spiritual junk food. Dust. You bought back into the lie that everyone else has and you're just stuffing yourself with the same things and the same attitudes and the same events that don't last and they don't satisfy and now you don't have an appetite for what really does. And that's the Lord. And I can tell you that personally. There are times when my hunger and my thirst for God has waned. And it's because I started filling myself with other things instead of filling myself with Him and seeking out Him. I think about what God says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 to the people during that day and time. He says, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of what church? Living water. And they have dug for themselves what? Cracked cisterns. That can hold no water at all. And, and I think that describes oftentimes how how we can be, you know, we're we're tempted to chase after all of these things looking for satisfaction, but we can't find fulfillment because the water that we can only find in the Lord is just draining out through all the cracks. It doesn't satisfy. I'm out of time. Some of you may be thinking, well, how can I get my appetite back? How does God oftentimes restore hunger for him? Let me me read this to you quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. The children of Israel, you guys remember, they were wandering in the wilderness. And at at, at times they got hungry and and they got thirsty. And well, look at what it says, verse 3. Yes, he, that's God humbled you by letting you, what church, go hungry. There's there's our two words this morning, right? Humble and hungry. And then, feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the Lord's mouth. Notice, God let them get hungry. Are you with me? And what did that do? It humbled them to the point to where they recognized just how much they needed Him. And so oftentimes, you know, things happen, man. Our circumstances oftentimes can, can get really bad, whether it's in our marriage or, or, or whether it's at work or maybe, you know, things start falling apart at home, you know, financially, and, and we're just kind of scratching our heads and we're like, what's the deal? And, and oftentimes, here's the thing, I, I really believe with all my heart, God's just trying to get our attention, God's humbling us to where we begin to realize that we need to be hungry for Him. You know, maybe right now you would say in in describing your life, man, everything is terrible. Everything is just falling apart. Everything is a mess. And I would say to you, that's good. Because now you begin to see just how much we need God. Now you begin to see what works and what doesn't work. And when we begin to realize that it's, it's God, it's the Lord that we need, that's when we're blessed. That's when we're happy. It's when we're hungry and we're thirsty for Him. And He says, it's the meek. It's the hungry. It's those who mourn. It's those who are broken in spirit. They're the ones invited into my party, my kingdom. i close with this. When Julia and I were in Israel, we got to go to the Church of the Nativity. And this is where they say... Jesus was born. This is the very spot where they say Jesus was born, and they have a star on the ground inside this basilica. But what you'll notice is the door to get in is extremely small. And so in order to get in, you've got to get low. You've got to bend over. That's, that's me. That's my behind. Sorry you had to see that, but I I wanted you to see that in order to get in there, you've got to get down. It's impossible to enter standing up. And what we were told is that the builder of this basilica built it that way on purpose. That the only way to come to Jesus is humble and hungry and on your knees. Listen, if you need to respond for any reason, whether it's to rededicate your life to Christ, to repent of your sins, to truly seek out satisfaction in the Lord, listen, we'd love to encourage you today. We'd love to encourage you to put on Christ in baptism. All of us have made terrible mistakes. I think all of us could say that Man, throughout life, we've made, we've made mistakes and, and we've just made a mess of life at times. But here's the thing. Through the cross of Jesus, which did a great job of, of explaining as we took the Lord's Supper this morning, this is, this is why we're here. This is, this is what we remember. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, anything and everything that we have ever done through the blood of Jesus, our sins are completely washed away. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 as we give our lives as we come to Jesus in baptism his blood washes our sins away or it may be this morning that you are a christian and and maybe man for for a while now you've just felt unsatisfied you you have just man you've lost your joy and, and maybe you would say it's because you've lost your connection with God. You've been spiritually sick. And you're ready to rededicate your life to Him, to come back to Him. You can do that. We'll pray for you this morning. If you want to put a prayer up here on the, the cross, I'll pray for you. Our elders will, will pray for you. But if you have a need, won't you come to get, uh, today as we stand and sing?